welcome you to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to the series we began last week entitled Rebuild. It's a series that we are going through basically verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through a powerful Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Remember that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, uh, the king with a mouthful, King Artaxerxes. Uh, if you were playing Scrabble, that would be one that you would want to use. You'd get a whole bunch of points for King Artaxerxes, uh, but he is in Persia. And uh, if you remember last week, a number of men had arrived from Judah, arrived from uh, Israel, and Nehemiah asked, how are things going? How are things back home? And last week we looked at the foundation for the future. Chapter 1, uh, you got to start with the foundation before you build or do anything on top of that. And the foundation for the future we saw involved us being honest about our reality. These people said, listen, Nehemiah, things are not well. Uh, there's th Things are not going so good there. The walls are torn down, the gates are destroyed, and they shared honestly what was taking place. The foundation, we said, we've got to get broken for the needs around us. Remember that when Nehemiah heard the news, he did what? He sat down. He wept. He prayed. He fasted. So he was broken for the needs of the people that were around him. Third, last week we saw we were to confess our sins to God. No excuses. No hiding. He said, here's what I have done. Here's what our family has done. Here's what we as your people have done, God. He confessed. Next, we saw we were to faithfully seek God's success. Many times, we try to make things happen. His prayer was, God, grant me success. You do it. And his prayer was, grant me success by making the king favorable. Make the king favorable to me. Keep that in mind as we get into today's message from chapter 2. But finally, last week, we said, you've got to start where you are. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, a thousand miles away from where God's people were and from where the walls and the gates were broken, torn down, and burned. But he was starting where he was, doing what God had called him to do. Now, if you were reading in advance, we said go ahead and read chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you've read it, you know where we're going. Here's a heads up for next week. Read Nehemiah chapter... Oh, man, you guys are on it. Yes, chapter 3 for next week, but chapter 2, go ahead. If you've got the Word of God in paper form, digital form, open up God's Word, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. We read this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Stop right there. That's what he was, the cupbearer, presenting the food, presenting the drink, making sure nothing was uh, poisoned. If anything would happen, it would happen to the cupbearer and not to the king. But it's mentioning the month of Nisan. Now, last week, chapter 1, if you remember, it talked about the month of Kislev. Now, none of these months necessarily relate to us as far as our January, February. They're called different things. But chapter 1, Kislev, is right around the November or December of our calendar. Today, the month of Nisan would relate right around to March or April of our calendar. So basically, chapter 2 starting out about four months following the conclusion of chapter 1. All right, so that's where we are chronologically. Chapter 1 was about laying the foundation. Chapter 2 here, we're going to look at the stage of preparation. 
So today we're going to be looking at what are some principles of preparation. We've got the foundation. That's got to be put in place. And we looked at some of those thoughts last week. Chapter 2, what are principles of preparation? You want to prepare for God to work in you and through you? Here are a handful of things. First of all, you're going to love this one. First principle is to wait patiently. Oh, how many of you, I just spoke your love language? No, the opposite, right? If I said, hurry up and rush, you'd say, yes, amen. This is to wait patiently. Again, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, four months after his heart was broken, four months after he sat and he wept and he prayed and he fasted, he took the wine, gave it to the king. But verse 1 says, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And he writes this, I was very much afraid. Now, Quick note on some of the cultural things there. Palace etiquette required that all of the palace servants would be happy. How about that as a job description, right? I mean, you got to be happy because you work for the king. The king's your boss, and everything the king does is awesome and right, and so your face reflects how awesome he is. So it's not just about etiquette. In a sense, if you were sad, you're reflecting that perhaps something the king did was bad, and you perhaps could be held in treason. So it's not just a frowny face, I don't feel good today. No matter what, you're to be happy. So Nehemiah wasn't feeling so good. He's been thinking, he's been praying, his heart's been broken for his people. And the king noticed, he said, why are you sad? He knew he was not physically sick. So verse 3, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Always a good way to start. If you're dealing with the king, O king, may you live forever. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, check this out, what is it you want? So the first principle we're we're checking out here involves waiting patiently. Chapter 1 taking place November, December-ish of our calendar. Chapter 2 now, March or April-ish, four months had taken place. His heart was broken. He He had sat. He had wept. He had fasted. He had prayed. And now, four months later, something's happening. How many of you, you pray for something for a day? And if nothing happens, you kind of give up. You're like, well, I guess it's not happened. We can get rather impatient at times, right? Because we're, we're a fast food culture. We're not geared to just sitting around and waiting patiently. And here's exactly how chapter 2 starts. He had spent four months of his heart breaking, four months of weeping, four months of fasting, four months of praying, and now the king's asking him. In fact, he says, what is it that you want? What's interesting is if you dig through the rest of the book, and we're going to get there chapter by chapter, 
But it, it's said that they ended up taking 52 days to rebuild the walls. Spoiler alert, they do rebuild. 52 days is what it took. But he's now spent four months worth of prayer. He spent more than double the amount of time praying and preparing and seeking God before anything began. Praying and waiting. Waiting and praying. Cry out to God. Listen, when you and I wait, waiting time is not wasted time. Praying time is not wasted time. Even though we don't always see it, how many of you know God is often working behind the scenes? Have you seen that in your own heart, in your own life? Look back at some things in your situation. Remember, you know, you've been thinking, you've been praying about this issue or about this uh, uh, series of financial decisions or some of the physical things you've been facing, and it seemed like nothing was happening, and then all of a sudden, boom. The healing came, the provision came, the restoration of a relationship came. Sometimes it seems like nothing is happening, but God's working behind the scenes. Now, if that's you or I, month one, month two, month three, month four, we've heard about all the stuff that's happening. Things are not good, and we're praying, and we're fasting, and it seems like nothing's happening. Nehemiah is a thousand miles away. What can he do? But he's praying. And here, four months later, the king notices he's sad. The king not only asks, why are you sad? But those magic words, what is it you want? Listen, waiting patiently, waiting on God to answer in his timing. Have you found that his timing tends to look a little different than ours? Oh, I mean, this is a concept, and we've covered it many, many times in many parts of Scripture about the concept of waiting. Our time frame is now, or immediately, or more, more preferably, yesterday. And maybe more preferable to that a, a few weeks ago. Am I the only one who, who doesn't mind things being done? I mean, we've been trying to share some of the updates about this process, and I shared you know, several weeks ago, here's our plan. And the next Sunday, we, we update the plan. And today, once again, we're updating the plan. We, we want things done. Boy, we, we want to get them done, done, done. And sometimes it involves waiting patiently on God. We can get impatient. And when we get impatient, we think nothing's happening. You and I can often step in and do things that puts a little wrinkle in the plan. We've, we've all seen and done that. We try to help God out, if you would. We whine and beg and moan that nothing's happening, and so, God, I've got to do this. But part of this preparation is to wait and to wait patiently on God. And when that opportunity comes, certainly to be ready for that, that's what Nehemiah had done. He was praying and fasting, fasting and praying. And now we come to chapter 2, four months later, and now this window of opportunity begins to open. Let's be ready. Let's be sensitive to God in our hearts, in our lives. Let's pray and let's seek Him. Yes, there might be some things that don't seem like they're happening in the timing that we would hope for. But let's pray and let's seek and let's wait patiently 
on God. Because when God moves and when God works, guess what? It's a whole lot better than what you and I will try to do or to try to force to happen. See, God had put that burden on his heart. He sat, he wept, he prayed, he fasted. But only God is able to change a king's heart. As, as much as Nehemiah was serving him, he was not the king. He was a servant of the king. But God was in control. God was working. God was working upon his heart. And here at the right moment, as he was waiting patiently, the king said, hey, you're sad. What do you want? I begin to open the door. Pretty neat. Nehemiah didn't have to speak up. Who was it that did the speaking? The king. So principle number one is to wait patiently. It's not our favorite thing to do, but it's a part of this process. Wait patiently. Secondly, let's dream boldly. Anybody have some bold dreams? So it says here in verse 4 at the end of that, he says, Then I prayed to the God of heavens. Now, again, this is not Nehemiah's first prayer. He had been praying and seeking God for months. More than likely, this is one of those quick, you know, maybe in his heart kind of prayers to God. How many of you do that where you pray kind of throughout the day? God, help me. God, guide me. It might not be a get on your knees and spend 5, 10, 15 minutes of prayer. It might be a kind of quickly in between something during the day. It's that kind of lifestyle of prayer. So he prays to the God of heaven. And then it says, verse 5, I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servants found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. I mean, this has been in his heart for months. He's heard what's taken place. He's heard the honesty. Things are not good. Torn down, broken walls and gates. He's been praying. He's been seeking God. He's a thousand miles away. What can he do? But the king asks. What can I do? What do you want? Verse 6, Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, he's, he's basically said, Allow me to go and hopefully to rebuild. But he's, he's dreaming a little bigger and bolder. He says, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. That's some... Kind of bold dreams. The king says, what do you want? He could have just said, well, boy, things aren't so good there. You know, would you mind letting me kind of go and seeing what I could do? Could I, could I have a little bit of time off? He, he did ask for some time off. But he also said, I want to I be able to do this, but I, I need some letters of safe passage because in this thousand-mile journey, I'm going to go through some of these places. I want to have your authority that hopefully I can have safe travel. Oh, and by the way, maybe you could connect with so-and-so to help me with some timber, some wood, to be able to help rebuild the, the temple, the city wall, and by the way, a, a house that I'll be living in there. This, this bold dream? It was a pretty thorough plan. 
He'd done some homework. It wasn't just praying. Although he had done a bunch of praying, right? Four months worth. When, when he heard about what was taking place, he's praying and thinking and dreaming. Dreaming and praying and thinking, God, what could be done to your place, to this city wall, to the gates? And he's praying and thinking and dreaming. And then at the right moment, opportunity comes. God moves upon the king's heart. And he's able to share these bold dreams. He was praying and dreaming and planning and awaiting. Listen, we do both. Sometimes people tend to do one or the other. They tend to be, hey, you just got to pray and it's going to happen. And other people are like, well, praying is good, but you, you got to actually do stuff. So you got to plan to make it happen. It's not necessarily the either or. It's the both and. Pray, yes. But plan, yes. They go hand in hand. We can pray and seek God as well as plan and maybe think and dream a little bit. God, if you were to move, man, it would be great if this took place. The gates repaired, walls repaired, people there in safety seeking you. Nehemiah was praying. Nehemiah was dreaming. Nehemiah was planning. So now when the king saw his downcast face and he asked, what can I do for you? Nehemiah had an answer. He would prayed. He planned. He would sought God and he shared the bold dream. He basically said, I need some permission to do this, protection to get there, and hopefully some provisions to get it done. Sometimes... We tend to ask for just a little something. You know, King, if it wouldn't be too much to ask, could I get maybe a couple days off? If you're a thousand miles away and you're not in the year 2021 with vehicles and airfare, it's going to take you a little while to get there. It's going to take you a while to figure some things out and fix it and etc. He didn't just say, could I have a little bit of time off? He was dreaming some bold dreams. God, not just for time off. But king, letters from you to get me there safely. Oh, and by the way, put in the good word for some nice quality timber. Those are some big, bold dreams. Well, what was Nehemiah doing? He'd been waiting patiently, seeking God, dreaming boldly. But as he continued in his preparation, thirdly, what you and I have got to do is recognize accurately. In other words, recognize who is doing what. Recognize that God is at work. The end of verse 8, it says, Because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. The king said, yes. How many of you love that word? Yes. How many of you hate hearing the word? No. If you're, if you're a child, if you're a young person, even as an adult, you know, you ask, how about this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, can I, can I, can I? And what do we want to hear? Yes, sure, go ahead. We love the word yes. Not so crazy about the word no. So here's Nehemiah after his bold dreams and requests. The king granted them. Verse 9. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, gave them the king's letters. So 
The permission was granted. He was able to have that time off. The protection, you know, was there. He had these letters. But check out the end of verse 9. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Can you say above and beyond? God didn't just barely, kind of, sort of answer some prayers and requests. And, you know, the king said, well, yeah, I'll give you some time off, but, uh, you know, I'm taking it out of your pay. Sometimes that happens and it comes to work, right? He didn't just say, well, you know, you'll, you'll pay for it out of your paycheck. You want some of this timber? Well, you know, we'll, we'll work something out. You can work for it. It wasn't just about the time off. It wasn't just about having these letters to have safe passage. The king sent army officers and the cavalry. The king had provided all that Nehemiah asked for and then some. Reminds us a a little bit. Remember the, the series that we spent a number of weeks on earlier this year, infinitely more from Ephesians, where he says, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think or imagine. Here's Nehemiah with some pretty bold dreams, with some pretty bold asks. And the king went above and beyond that. Now, let's not, let's not, you know, make God our Santa Claus and say, okay, I'll just ask for everything, and then God has to give me that, and then some. We're not forcing God to ask. We're not forcing God to do all of what we request. But here, as we pray, as we seek God, God often has a way of blessing beyond our imagination. You ever seen that take place? You pray about something, and it's a need. Maybe it's a little need, and God meets that little need and then surpasses it. Sometimes we've got some pretty big needs, some pretty big asks. We pray and we seek God, and God not only meets that big need, God goes above and beyond. It's amazing. So here's a part of this preparation is Something's happening, but Nehemiah recommended and recognized the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Sometimes we can try to take credit, right? Well, you know, it was, it was my smooth plan. It was my sweet talking to my boss. It was my this. It was my that. I'm so awesome. I got everything I wanted. You might be pretty awesome. I mean, we, we got some pretty awesome people in this place. But let's recognize, let's recognize how God is at work in your heart, in your heart, in your life, in your situation. God is at work. Recognize accurately God, his gracious hand is upon you. In the midst of that, verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I mean, they were mad. Somebody was going to take care of them and do something about it. So quick note, in the midst of all of this foundation, in the midst of all of the preparation, in the midst of trying to do something for God and with God, not everybody's going to be happy. They're, the enemy, when you start doing something for God, the enemy's not going to be happy, Right? When you start trying to reach friends and family member and community people and reach them with the love of Jesus Christ, the enemy doesn't want to give up ground. When you start to live for God 
boldly as a Christian, whether that's as a child, a young person, a teenager, a young adult, an adult in your workplace, or stand up for God in your community, or stand up for God in your family, the enemy's not necessarily going to be just happy about that. So we see there's, there's some opposition. We're going to come across them a little bit later as we work our way through Nehemiah. So we wait patiently, dream boldly, recognize accurately. Let's continue in the chapter. Fourthly, let's examine carefully. Verse 11 says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So Nehemiah had spent months praying and seeking and dreaming and planning. And now the king said, hey, you're sad. What is it that you would want? And he shared this, this bold dream. And the king not just said yes to that, but yes to even more of that. So now Nehemiah takes this trip, but he begins to examine. He goes around, he sees the walls, he sees the gates, he examines and, and sees firsthand what he had been hearing about secondhand. Those people said things are not good. Those people had said about the walls and about the gates. Now Nehemiah is seeing it with his own eyes. He's carefully examining. In fact, he'd been there for three days. Then he starts out, and some of this is done at night. He's just saying, i got to get an idea for myself. Before we start to get other people involved, let's see what needs to be done. He was doing some important things, examining. Now, did you take a look? We mentioned Ezra and Nehemiah. These two books were originally written as one in the Hebrew. Read through Ezra. You see that in the book of Ezra, that work had begun on the walls, but it had been stopped 13 years earlier. So some work had begun, but then it stopped again, and much was broken down. You can imagine there were probably some disappointed and discouraged people with things being torn down, burned down, broken down. So he's making a careful examination. Now, word used to describe this is a little bit like that of a physician inspecting a wound with great care. And you would hope that a physician would do that for you, not just kind of take a quick glance and go, well, I guess it might be this. He's taking a close look, a close examination, kind of like what Nehemiah was doing here. No doubt he sees the trash. No doubt he sees the rubble. No doubt he sees what was going on. It was not looking pretty, but he saw it firsthand. He's examining it. And at that point, he's beginning to formulate a plan. Foundation was in place. This is, our, this is all a part of the preparation 
He's been waiting patiently on God, and God's beginning to move. He had been dreaming boldly, and the king said, what can I do? He then recognized accurately God was at work. God was blessing. God was providing. God was working in this situation. And as a result, he's examining carefully what needs to be done. He, he's seeing it firsthand. He's no doubt jotting down notes or thoughts or here's how we need or where we need or what needs to be done, the supplies that are needed. And then finally, as we close out this chapter, what did he do? He involved confidently. Verse 17, I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned by fire. He involves them. He says, come, let us Rebuild the wall. I mean, I came a thousand miles, but I can't do this on my own. Come. You. And you. And you. And you. And you. He said, come. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said. How exciting was that? Here, here's what the king said. He, he's relaying the story. The king asked why I was sad. The king asked, what do you want? And I told him, and here's what the king did, and then some. How incredible as he's sharing what God was doing. Isn't it exciting to hear testimonies of what God is doing? Not just, you know... We share what God's been doing and some of the little steps of how God is preparing and providing for us as a church, the blessings of these chairs to be given, the blessings of the pews to be donated in rather interesting fashion. On and on and on. But think about your own personal life. It's exciting when you can share with somebody else, here's what God has been doing in my life. Not just here's how he's cleansed and forgiven me, let me, let me tell you a testimony about how God's healed, about how God's provided, about how God has guided and directed my life. So he's sharing about that. And the end of verse 18, they replied, let us start rebuilding. There's a foundation. This was the preparation. And the people then said, yes, let us do it. It involves multiple people. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more next week. Sneak peek, take a look at chapter 3. But the end of verse 18 says, So they began this good work. Involve confidently. It takes a team of people. Nehemiah could not do it all himself. He made the appeal to all of the people. It was clear things had, had taken place. It was a need of rebuilding, of refreshing. There was work that needed to be done. God had moved on his heart. He, he was sharing, boy, I've sat and I've wept and I've prayed and I've fasted. And he shared, here's how God had moved upon King Artaxerxes to get involved, the officers and the cavalry. And now he was about to move on the heart of the people to work together. He was involving them confidently. He was sharing what God had already done. I mean, listen, here's, here's how we've started. I've shared with the king. The king said yes, and then some. So together, we can do it. Involving, inspiring, and they responded positively. Yes, let us do that. Let us start rebuilding. 
That's a good response from the people, right? They could have been apathetic. Eh. I mean, it's not that bad, Nehemiah. I mean, you just learn to live with it. You ever had something go wrong with a car or go, something go wrong in your house or something go wrong with anything that you have? And initially, when it first happens, you're like, oh, I can't stand this. I got to get it fixed. And after a day or two or a week or two or a month or two, how many of you, sometimes you kind of tend to learn to live with it? I think about that. Uh, I think it was the beginning of the year. I dropped my, my cell phone, and I had a screen protector on it. But it landed flat on a little rock, and I got a slight little crack, just a slight little crack. I've never had a crack on any screen protector, even on a phone. I mean, I've been pretty careful. I had that, that crack, and oh, it just bugged me so. It, it was small, and it was tiny, but I was just, ah, i got to fix this. Pretty sure that was in January, and I haven't switched out my screen protector. Chances are I'm not alone with that. Uh, not, not the phone and screen protector part. But when something happens, initially we say, oh, I can't stand this. Something must be done. We got to change this. We got to fix this. We got to make it right. And unfortunately, sometimes over time, we get used to it. Now, the people here, they could have they said, hey, you know, we've just kind of gotten used to it. Yeah, the walls are broken down and the gates are torn down or burned down. I mean, you know, it's all right, Nehemiah. We've put up with it. I know you came from a thousand miles away to help us, but we're good. Thankfully, the people said, no, we're ready. Let's do this. You know, they, they could have also said, these are some famous words. We already tried that before. I mean, some of those are famous words. Either we've never done it that way before, or we've already tried that before. Either one, you know, they could have used that. Again, back in Ezra, about 13 years previous, the work had begun, and guess what? Some people got mad at that, and some people sent some letters at that, and they sent to the king in charge who shut it down. Want to know who the king in charge was at that time who shut it down in the book of Ezra? King Arda. Xerxes, the very king who God worked upon his heart in Nehemiah 13 years later. Nehemiah is praying. Nehemiah is fasting. The king says something's wrong, and he says, what can I do for you? Notice Nehemiah never specifically mentioned Jerusalem. Probably a tactful and a wise recognition of maybe not specifying that. But God used the very king who said no 13 years later to say yes. I don't know what it is that you might be going through or what you might be facing or experiencing. You say, this, is, this situation I'm facing, it's just never changed. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. When it seems that hope is lost, when it seems like things are impossible, God... Not you and not me, but God is the one who can make the impossible possible. God is the one who can take someone who says, no, stop that, to all of a sudden say, yes, begin that, and let me help you. God can do that. Read Ezra chapter 4, if you want a little bit more of the details of how things were shut down earlier. 
As one author wrote, as Nehemiah is now beginning this preparation process, he's involving the people by making sure that this goal of rebuilding and refreshing, that it was conceivable, believable, and achievable. I read that. I I like that. They said he made it conceivable. He helped people understand what needed to be done. Sometimes you say, boy, something needs to be done, but what? He made it conceivable. They could, they could understand. He made it believable. You've been discouraged. Things have been like this for a while, but he said, we can do this. God is at work. God is on the move. Believe it. We can do it. And then achievable. The goal's within reach. Again, spoiler alert, they did it in 52 days. It had been that way for years. 52 days. But it wasn't just Nehemiah. It wasn't just a couple here or there. He was involving the people confidently. Listen, God's in this. You can be a part of it. You can be a part of it. You can be a part of it. God's at work. Chapter 3 next week, we're going to see who is doing what and where and how. It's going to seem like kind of a, dare I say, boring chapter. But there's some powerful truths. We'll get to that next week. Back to the meanies, verse 19 and 20. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. Chapter ends with what seems to be a little bit of conflict, but Nehemiah focuses and turns the attention back where it rightfully should be put. It's on God. He says, God will give us success. It's not because of me. It's not because of these people. We're working together, but success is going to come from God. Know that the God of heaven can and will grant success as we wait patiently on him. As we begin to dream boldly for him, as we begin to recognize accurately, he's at work. We might not always see it, but he is working. He'll give success as we begin to examine carefully what things need to be done in our heart, in our life, how we relate to God, in our home, in our family, in our church. What do we need to do? And as we involve confidently, as we connect, as we partner, as we all get involved, all of those things will take place. God will grant success. 